Hello, welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. It's good to have you tuned in for the program. The balanced person is someone who lives in this world but knows they belong to the next. In recent years, a phrase has been coined that has gained momentum in our increasingly busy world to describe a seemingly elusive concept, that being work-life balance. Is there really such a thing? What does it look like? And even more importantly, how do we achieve it? Well, tonight, Dr. Corbett continues in his series, 10 Proven Keys to Successful Living. Tonight, number eight in the series, A Balanced Life. Have you ever met someone who, who seemed to rarely get cranky? No, most of the people I know are. Have you ever met someone? They just they just seem to take things in their stride. They they don't get too flustered about things. They just seem to always have a smile and they just don't seem to get cranky. Have you ever met someone who loved their work and was actually really good at it? And they loved it. I've met a few people like that. They're actually, when they talk about their work, they talk about it with such delight and passion. I've actually taken an interest in things that I previously had no interest in because they just sounded so interesting about talking about that very thing. And these are people that, that, are, that are really interesting to talk to. Have you ever met someone who loved their family and showed it by spending time with them? Now, I, I don't just mean at home. I mean they go to parent-teacher interviews. They go to little athletics, they go to the, the things where their children are at or they, they go and support other family members, they, they go and do this and they just seem to be relaxed in doing it. Imagine if we had, had one person who, with all of these descriptions, we're talking about the one person. Have you ever met someone who often says no to, to the many demands that are placed on them of their time, asked of, their, of, asked of them and asked of their time? No, I can't. I'm not available. Then if you have met someone who fulfills many of those or perhaps the rare breed that fulfills all of those, then chances are you've met someone who has their life in balance. The balanced person is someone who lives in this world but knows they belong to the next. You see, that pot being made on the potter's wheel, does not belong to that wheel. That is not its home. It's a transition phase. And the balanced person knows that this life is a transition phase. And as Paul wrote to the Corinthians in a bizarre section where he describes the, the, the afflictions that he went through, and, and, and the list in 2 Corinthians 11 talks about being shipwrecked twice, whipped 39 lashes several times, being stoned with rocks, being left for dead, being whipped, being spat at, being reviled, being all this. And he says, ah, momentary light affliction. What? That's crazy. Man, see me if I get a splinter. <laughs> and he calls this stuff, and so does the balanced person, the truly balanced person, views life's challenges and difficulties and trials as momentary light afflictions. Why? Because they know that how, whatever's happening by the bottom, the, the balanced person sees the best that this world has to offer as unable to even be compared to the least of the next. 
the next life. And Paul says that again to the Corinthians. He says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has in store for those who love him. Wow. And the balanced person recognises that the best, the best of this life isn't even worthy of being compared to the least of the next. The balanced person also does this. Because of the way they see the world, they are uncommonly effective in this life. Uncommonly effective in this life. That means they tend to get things done when everyone else is talking about getting things done. Now, ultimately, for me, the most balanced person that's ever walked the planet was Jesus of Nazareth. And if I was to ask you a really dumb rhetorical question, did Jesus accomplish anything? He was the most balanced person that ever lived. And everything we've described about a balanced person applies to Jesus Christ. And as we follow him, we become balanced. We become more like him. The balanced person came into this world with nothing. But when they leave this world, they leave the world richer for them having been there. They leave value behind. They leave the world far richer than what they found it. Now here's the secret. And unfortunately, it is a secret because so few people know it. Because if they did, they would do something about it. And here's the secret. The secret to the balanced person's effectiveness is that they remember the right things and they work from rest. And that's a Phil Hill statement to me. Phil Hills would often say the secret to effectiveness is not to rest from work. The secret to effectiveness is to work from rest. And he would say that over and over and over. And I would, at the first few years he said it, I just smiled and nodded and said, hmm, yes. On the inside I'm going, what does that mean? Well, let's see if we can unpack a little bit about what that means. So this is our eighth instalment, and this is what it's called. Success is nearly all work, and the rest, and there's a double entendre on that word rest, is remembering. What is work? kind of know intuitively what it is, and today we live in a world where what work used to be, which was you know, working by the sweat of your brow, manual labour, the you know, um, I put your back into it, that kind of stuff, that, that's not quite as applicable as it used to be, is it? Because now work is often exerted with the use of the mind and other creative means and so on. So work is doing what has to be done. And this is what I tell my children. When my, when, uh, when my children have certain responsibilities at home to do, which parents, you should give your children responsibilities at home to teach them about the real world, Oftentimes the pushback is, I don't want to do that. And I go, great, now you're beginning to understand what work is. Because who on a Monday morning has the alarm go off and they go, I don't, where is that alarm clock? <laughs> I don't want to go to work today. Anyone ever felt like that? One person. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. One person. <laughs> um, so it's doing what has to be done, it's doing what needs to be done, it's doing what can be done, it's doing what should be done, even though at times we may not want to do it. 
And this is going to be a really hard thing, I think, for, the, for this generation coming through to, to grasp because we live in a, a generation where if you feel like it, do it. If you, if you don't feel like it, don't do it. If you feel like this, then, then it's okay. But that's not how the world... It's not the, the, the real world, is it? The real world does not work like that. So that's, that's what work is. And I think the answers that we gave sort of encompass those things. And I've, all I've done is thrown in the heart in that. And the heart in that is that we won't always feel like doing this. There'll be often emotional resistance to doing it. Here's the next word that I want to explore. What is rest? And, and rest involves ceasing. It involves being still. It involves replenishing. It involves, and I haven't got this word there, recreating. And that's why we call it recreation. It involves refreshing. That's rest. So if you think about that, meal time is rest time. Now, wives, mothers, just tune out just for a minute. Meal time is rest time because it does many of those things. That's why in our home we've trained our children to recognise that the dinner table is not just about eating. It's about something bigger. And that means when you sit down for your meal, you don't get up like you've got some problem. You stay seated at the meal. And, and it's, it's ceasing activity, being still, being replenished, which is what food and nourishment should do, recreating and refreshing. And I think it's important for parents to teach their children to be able to do that. And maybe there are some adults that need to do that as well. Focus on the Family recently had a TV campaign where they said many family problems could be resolved if that family simply sat down at a mealtime each night and had dinner together. Doesn't that sound so dumb? It sounds so simple. It sounds so, so crazy simple. And yet I can tell you from 25 years of marriage counselling experience, it is one of the most powerful, profound things you can do as a family. The dictionary uh, describes it. Uh, Webster's says, cease from work or movement in order to relax, to sleep or recover strength. He needed to rest after the feverish activity. I'm going to rest up before travelling and so on. So that's rest. And I guess when I grew up uh, in a a home where my mum was a pretty strict Methodist and my dad was a pretty nominal Anglican. And when they got married, my mum sort of imposed some Wesleyan Methodist uh, life principles into our home. And one of them was that on Sundays, absolutely no activity. Now, the amazing thing is, on a Sunday, between morning church and afternoon church, I don't need my mother telling me no activity. Because I get home, I have lunch, and I'm pretty much spent. I'm done anyway. So let me come back to the dinner time analogy. When I say mealtime is a time of rest, and I said to mums and wives, and so on, just, just tune out for a minute. It, it, why did I say that? Because obviously there's a lot of work that goes into preparing that meal. And isn't it a frustrating thing when you see 
a meal that might have taken you from early morning, which sometimes I see with Kim, and Kim has a lot of work to prepare meals because we can't go to the shop and buy a lot of... In fact, we can't go to the shop and buy most food for our daughter Ruby, who has a host of health issues. It has to be handmade, it has to be prepared. And so Kim will spend hours and hours and hours making food, and how long does it take for it to be devoured? Minutes or seconds sometimes. But, but here's the thing, Kim's work has enabled someone to rest. And this is, I just want to speak to those who volunteer here. You and I, when we volunteer here on a Sunday, our work is like preparing a meal. And people come in and enjoy the meal. And, and one of the most ancient traditions of Christianity is hospitality. And hospitality, from a Christian point of view, takes supreme delight in being able to serve others so they can enjoy it and rest. Here's what we know from Scripture, and I'll show you some Scriptures in a moment. But God has designed for us to work. The, 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 it's interesting how many people buy a lotto ticket each week in the hope that they can stop working. In the world... The average amount of time for a lotto winner to be worse off financially than what they were before they won lotto is just over two years. They can win umpteen millions of dollars or millions of pounds or whatever it is and within two years they will be financially worse off than what they were before they won the lotto. That's in the world. In Australia the number is a little bit different. It's only 18 months. And why is that? I think there's a couple of reasons. One, God has designed for you and I to work. And there is a principle in the universe which is reward comes from effort. And God has designed that as a principle. And when you take out the effort and just have the reward, there is something that destroys and damages a soul. That's why parents, when your child says, I want a new iPod, whatever, and you go, sure, I'll just, I'll just go down and buy one now. You are being, and I'm going to say this in a loving way, a fool. Because that child needs to learn that reward always comes from some effort. And I, I, if you don't know what a child looks like who just gets reward with no effort, they get everything they ask for, just... Come and see me on Monday and I'll, I'll, I'll show you some. And it's not pretty. And they're not in my house, by the way. And I know that sounds strong. God has designed that, that this is what work does. And, and this is where we think, oh, I've got to go to work because I've got bills to pay. Yes, and, and in fact, there is a proverb that says that. And it says it this way. A man will work because he needs to satisfy his hunger. And sometimes if you don't work, God will bless you with hunger so that you get up off your blessed assurance and get out there and do something. This is good preaching, Andrew. So God has designed for us to work. Why? Because it gives a person a sense of dignity. Now, Kim referred the other week. There's a, a campaign happening in uh, Dubbo, New South Wales. There's a, a large Aboriginal contingent there and they've got a huge alcohol problem and a huge drug problem among Aboriginal Australians. 
And there's one Aboriginal Australian who was suffering from depression, was on medication and alcohol, and alcohol, of course, is a depressant, so it just makes depression worse. And, and something happened where he said, this is not right. I'm not meant to be living on a couch, playing computer games all day, drinking and smoking and doing this. I'm not meant to be... This, isn't, this is not right. And something got into his head where he got up went to one of his neighbours and said, hey, is there anything I can do to help you? And they said, well, actually, yeah. He said, sure, I'll help. And he actually mowed their lawns and swept their whatever and came home. And guess how he felt? Tired, but guess how he felt? He felt really good. And that's what he said. And then, he, then some of his friends said, hey, what's up with you? you? You're on a different kind of drug now? He said, no, I'm actually not taking so many now. I'm actually getting out and helping people. And they go, oh, well, we'll give it a try too. Now there's, there's all these members of the Aboriginal community who are getting out there and helping each other and doing things, and they, they're coming back tired, but they feel really good. Why? Because God has designed for work to not only provide for needs, but to provide us with, see those words, dignity, a sense of fulfilment, and a sense of purpose. That's what work does. Work's really important for those reasons, as well as getting paid. But it's not just about getting paid. This is what it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, before man fell. It says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. So this is before the fall. To do what? To work it. So don't think, well, yeah, we've got to work now because sin's in the world and, and mankind's fallen and so now we've all got to work. No, there was work before the fall. In fact, God had designed for man to work. It's not good for a person to sit around idly all the time. It destroys your soul. Work. <clears throat> Notice God himself gives the template for it. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Does that mean God was now completely inactive? Because, the, by the way, there's no end to the seventh day. It's the only day that doesn't have an end to it, according to Genesis. So God has rested from a certain type of work, and that is from the work of creation. So God worked six days and rested the seventh and gave that as a an analogy for how we are to live. And this is what it says. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. That is special, different. And it says, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So God has designed. So God himself gave the pattern. I want to show you what work looks like. You work, you rest. So God has designed for work to be punctuated with a rhythm, a certain Rhythm, and the rhythm is rest. God is designed for work to be punctuated with rest. This is what Jesus said when he was working with his disciples. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And there's that relationship between eating and resting. So Jesus wanted his disciples to take time out and rest. Now, if you ponder this, Jesus is on a very, very limited time frame. 
He's got to train these guys. He's got to get them equipped to take the message of the gospel throughout the whole world. He's got a very limited time and he goes, ah, it's time for a break. Come on, you guys need to come aside and you just need to rest now. And why is that? The principle of the Sabbath given in the Old Testament, and we hear today even in corporations where they use terms such as a sabbatical. They'll send their CEO on a sabbatical, an extended time off work. This is what, if you do a study of this term, the Sabbath, you'll discover this at least, that it was one of the seven festivals of Israel. Now, when we say festivals, I just described jumping castles and zorb balls and face painting and all the rest of it. A festival comes from the word feast, a time to eat together. And some of those eating together festivals include the festival of unleavened bread or the, um, and so on. So they weren't always the party spirit. But the Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath, was one of the seven feasts Some of them were to be kept each month. Some of them were to be kept each week. Some of them were to be kept each year. Some of them were to be kept every seven years. Some of them were to be kept every 50 years. These are the seven feasts of Israel. And the Sabbath is the first one that's mentioned. As a festival, a time to rest and eat. It's a festival, a feast. Now, here's the purpose that God gave for this festival, this Sabbath. The Sabbath was, let's run through the the things that we see in Scripture, a break from work. And again, I'll I'll show you the wisdom of that in a moment. Secondly, it was a time to remember. If if you consider the Ten Ten Commandments, one of them is uh, remember to keep the Sabbath. It starts with the word remember to keep the Sabbath. There's something to remember when you... Come on the Sabbath. And we're told what that is. As we, un, as we unpack scripture, we're told, come and remember that, remember God. Remember him in worship. Remember that he created the world in six days, rested on the seventh. You're now resting on this seventh day. And here you are to remember him and worship him and thank him. You are to rest. You are to eat. And God says, so do your preparation before the Sabbath so that you, you don't have to do that much on the Sabbath and rest. And remember and worship. It was also to be a witness to outsiders. God actually says that he wanted Israel to keep the Sabbath so that the surrounding nations would look at the nation of Israel, stop, completely stop their activity on one day and for those nations to go, what are you doing? And then God says, this is where you can glorify me. This is where you can give me glory. Tell them about me. And the Sabbath, because it's one of the seven feasts of Israel, and each of the seven feasts are in prophetic unpacking order. In other words, the Sabbath, and you go through, you've got Day of Atonement, you've got Feast of Tabernacles. All of those things point to Christ in some way. And the Sabbath points to Christ. It speaks of the Messiah's redemption. Here's the thing. You work... You rest. And in a moment, what I want to show you is that that was a picture, the old covenant, the new covenant. The old covenant about works, the new covenant, rest. Under the old covenant, you did this, do this, this ceremony, this ritual, this festival, this feast, this activity. Under the new covenant, it's done. 
and now rest. We'll show you that in a moment. So the Sabbath was God's wisdom amidst a culture where it was common for people to be oppressed. There was slavery, not in the terms of shackles and manacles and people being kidnapped from from West African countries, but in the sense of you get yourself into such a financial mess, you can't pay that debt off any other way than by selling yourself into the service of the one to whom you owe the debt. It's called indentured servitude. And it's a tragedy that the King James translates that as slavery, because that's not actually what it was. But in a world where people could be abused and oppressed, God told those people who had these people in their service, let them rest. One day out of seven, let them rest. And here's the wisdom in resting one day out of seven. It's why church is so important, because you come and you rest. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. And here's the point. When you rest, you sharpen your axe. When you rest, you replenish your strength. When you rest, you become more effective, not less. When you rest, you get more done, not less. Don't believe me? Try it. I constantly have people ask me, how do you get so much done? And I just assume that, they, well, they're obviously doing the Sabbath. They obviously get that. Um, I don't know. I just get stuff done. And then it dawns on me. It's like tithing, isn't it? It's like, how can you be financially better off by giving money away? How can you be physically better off by resting? How can you be more effective in getting things done by stopping to get things done? By stopping getting things done. In some sense, it doesn't make sense. It's a spiritual principle. Rest. So, let's bring this to a close. The Sabbath was supposed to be, this time of rest, was supposed to be about God's wisdom. God in his wisdom said, you'll be more efficient, more effective, If you stop, cease, replenish, refresh, recreate, rest, you'll get more done in the sixth than you will if you just go seven. That's God's wisdom. It was also about worship. Remember. Remember God. Worship him. Honour him. It was also about a witness to the world that God wanted his people to, here's the word, delight in. Not see it as a travesty, not see it as a hindrance, not see it as a drudge, but see it as, thank God I get to take a day off a week. That's awesome. If you're not a Christian and you're here today and you enjoy your weekends, you should thank us. (laughs) We worked hard to have this weekend. (laughs) Why a weekend, you ask? Because many Christians still practiced Saturday observance. And many, most Christians practice Sunday observance because that's the day Christ rose from the dead. That's the fulfilment of the picture. That's why we have a weekend. A balanced life is balancing work and the other important facets of life. So let's not, men particularly, and maybe women as well, don't just be about work. Take up an interest. Replenish. Recreate. Have an interest that refreshes you. And have in that list church on Sunday. This is God's gift to us, church. To honour Christ, contribute to society, create wealth and be responsible. And there is a unique rest which Christ alone now freely offers everyone. And while we in the church, while we Christians say salvation is not a matter of works, 
It actually is, but not ours. Christ's. He's done the work. He now offers rest. And if we had time, we'd unpack verses like this in Hebrews 4, where, where the writer to the Hebrew Christians says, The Sabbath rest has found its fulfillment now in Jesus. He's achieved rest for us. And this is what Jesus said, and this is where we bring it to a close. And if you want to live a balanced life, I trust that you'll get this. There is a rest for you that you can carry with you in your soul. <laughs> there is a rest that you can enjoy in the midst of busyness. There is a rest that you can enjoy in the midst of pressure. There is a rest that you can have knowing that the Father loves you, the Father accepts you, the Father has everything in control. And Jesus said this, Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. I'll give you rest. This is what Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Father, there may be some here and they're at their wits end. They're, they are at the end of their rope. They have done what they can and they can do no more. So how is your balance? Are you making time for rest and remembering amidst the list of things that need doing? More from Dr. Corbett next week, number nine in the series of 10 proven keys to successful living. Tonight's program, A Balanced Life, number eight in the series of 10 proven keys to successful living, as well as other Finding Truth Matters podcasts and resources are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is the pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We invite you to join us again next week for more Finding Truth Matters.